and reading at their very best are a social experience. Whether it be a book club, a poetry slam, or the production of a play, words are meant to be shared. I'm your host, Amy. And I'm your host, Carrie. We've been in a book club together for over a decade and enjoy talking about what we're reading, but in so many ways, we are opposites. Carrie is a cat lover, but I'm a dog nut. Amy loves a good party, while I prefer to wear my fuzzy socks while introverting on the couch. But books are the tie that binds. Each week, we have fun conversations with interesting people about how books and reading influence their lives. We will find out what books are on their nightstands and ask them about five things that make them who they are. We invite you to learn more about the many perks of being a book lover. Listeners, we wanted to take this moment to thank Forward Radio for giving us the chance almost a year ago to broadcast a new radio show about books and reading. Their guidance and feedback has been invaluable. To check out more shows on their station, go to forwardradio.org or if in the Louisville, Kentucky area, 106.5 FM on your radio dial. Now that the weather is all warm, it's the perfect time to listen to our show while walking the dog, doing yard work, or washing the car. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or Facebook, Carrie and I will do a little happy dance and read your review on the air. And now all about our guest today. When I think of a greenhouse, I envision small seeds sprouting roots and then green shoots slowly rising towards the sunlight. The progress to grow may be slow at first, but soon becomes rapidly transformational as the plant drinks in the nourishment of the heat, moisture, and sunlight in the greenhouse cocoon. Our guest this week, Hannah Rose Newhauser, is the co-founder and program director of the Young Authors Greenhouse, an organization inspired by the 826 Valencia Writing Organization for Children and Teens launched by author Dave Edgers. The Louisville Greenhouse, located in the Portland neighborhood, nurtures student writers in an imaginative writing space, which includes a storefront called The Opposite Shop, where you can find jars of sunshine and magic fish scales. But moving from the shop through the portal into the organization's writing center, young writers enter a world where they're taken seriously by mentors who question and instill confidence. One of the coolest programs offered by the Young Authors Greenhouse is an annual songwriting event with Jim James, leader of the rock band My Morning Jacket, and Teddy Abrams, the young hip conductor of the Louisville Orchestra. Hannah Rose tells us what books she read in college that inspired her start this nonprofit journey, what skill is more important than writing for volunteers with the Young Authors Greenhouse, and what perk of the program can entice even reluctant writers to put their words on paper. It's week 647 of social distancing. No, that's not true. I don't know what week <laughs> it is, but we've been doing this for a while now. And this week, we have Hannah Rose Newhauser. She is the co-founder and program director of Young Authors Greenhouse here in Louisville, and she's also a writer herself. So thank you, Hannah Rose, for being a guest on our show. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really excited. So there have been several guests. Hannah Rose, you might have been one who asked us this. If this was just audio or if it was going to be audio and video, and thank God it is not also video because <laughs> hair today like sticking out all over I'm glad nobody can see me I'm glad we're only audio me too I um I chatted with students earlier and I video conferencing and I was just like you know what I'm not even gonna bother and I'm gonna be my authentic self That's right. 
everything authentic. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be the co-founder of the Young Authors Greenhouse and what the Young Authors Greenhouse is. Yeah, so Young Authors Greenhouse is a nonprofit here in Louisville, and we inspire students ages 6 to 18 to recognize the power of their voices and stories. So we run writing programs, and we bring in volunteers from the community to work with students one-on-one on their writing. We're about three years old now. We're in our three years of programs. And I came to this work because when I was in college, I read Dave Eggers' book, A Heartbreaking Work of Staggering Genius. And when I got to the end, I was reading about him and read that he had started this national nonprofit called 826 Valencia, which was this writing, tutoring, and publishing program in San Francisco. And I was very much in my senior year being like, well, what am I going to do? I'm interested in writing. I'm interested in education. I'm interested in publishing. And this seemed to have all of those things. So after I graduated, I got a job teaching preschool and it just wasn't quite what I wanted to be doing. So I was like, oh, I really should look up that 826 thing again. So I did. Within two months, took an unpaid internship at 826 Michigan, packed up my dying Volvo and moved to Michigan to work at 826. And I was there for two years. And then I came home back to Louisville, taught second grade for a year. And But in the back of my head, I was just, wow, Louisville really needs an organization like 826. And during that time when I was kind of figuring out my next step, I met Jeanette Behus, who had also recently found out about 826 and wanted to start one. So it very much felt like the stars were aligning. We started talking and figuring out if we were going to do this, and we did it. So that was three years ago. You said the 826 Valencia, is that right? Okay, and then you said 826 Michigan. So was the Michigan one, like somebody in Michigan decided that they were going to start their own thing, or are they connected? 826 Valencia was the first one, and now there are chapters all over the country. So Michigan was one of the closer ones to here, so that's why I chose that particular one. Explain to us a little bit about what that organization, what it was like working for that organization and and what kind of things they did. We are modeled after 826. They do after-school tutoring programs, writing programs, and again, it revolves around this model of bringing adult volunteers into classrooms, into spaces to work one-on-one with students. I learned the ropes there for a couple years and then was able to kind of bring it home and start this organization that is directly modeled after that. Was there a reason that you decided to go with a a different name and not link with that 826 tag, I guess? Yeah, so there's kind of like an application process to become an 826. It's an official national organization. And there, I think there are only like 10 or 11 chapters. Even those chapters start off as kind of their own independent organization. So that's kind of where we started, uh, this grassroots program. There are lots of inspired organizations all over the world, and we consider ourselves one of those inspired organizations. So we are a part of the International Alliance of Youth Writing Centers, which is this, this collective of these writing centers all over the world. So tell us about the name, Young Authors Greenhouse. Where did it come from? It's an interesting, intriguing name. (laughs) So this model of organization, 826, the very first one, 826 Valencia, that Dave Eggers started, he got the space ready to 
turn into this after-school writing and tutoring center. And he found out that it was zoned for retail. And he was like, I'm not trying to sell anything. I'm just trying to do this good thing. And as they were working on the space, a buddy of his was like, oh, it looks like the hull of a pirate ship in here. He's like, that's it. In the front, we'll have this pirate supply store. And the back will run writing programs. And it really took off because this, this pirate store turned into this very magical space for students to come to after school. You know, no matter what's going on in their day, they can walk in and it's a pirate store. It's this strange, wacky experience where it really their imaginations can just be wild and weird. So this model took off in all the A26 chapters and all these inspired centers, and there are so many of them, have this really wacky storefront at the front of their center. So our original plan was that ours would be like this magical forest. So the greenhouse name started with that original idea. We have since gone in a different direction, but we've kind of kept the name. We like that greenhouses are where things grow and in our space, ideas are growing, students are growing, and writers are growing their thoughts. We like the metaphor of it, so we've just kept it. I love that. One of the things that I'm curious about is the different writing programs that you've done with students. And so we kind of have to divide this conversation up a little <laughs> bit into how did you do things before the pandemic? And then yep. how are you doing things now? So let's start with some of the different programs that you had operating before things went a little haywire in March. Yes, there's definitely been a drastic shift. I'll talk about our flagship program, which is called the Young Authors Book Project. It was our very first program. We're now in our third year of it. And basically, we partner with the school and the teacher, and we develop a program with some sort of theme. So, for example, the first year, students wrote poems about home, social justice, community, and neighborhoods. So we go into the classroom two to three times a week with this team of volunteers who sit one-on-one -on -one with students and encourage them to write down their thoughts and are really just their champions. And our, all of our programs revolve around that one-on-one -on -one small group interaction and just the conversations that come from talking between our volunteers and students. There's something really magical and electric about when those conversations happen. So we do that for a whole semester. So we're in there two to three times a week for a semester. New semester, we get a gr new group of students, same thing. And the end of the year, we publish their work into a book. So that's one of our programs. We've done poetry. We've done rewriting fairy tales. And then this week, we're wrapping up our third year which was creative nonfiction. With all the, the different genres that you just mentioned, how do you go about deciding what you're going to do? Is that something that's a collaborative effort between you all and the teacher? It is, yes. We have a really amazing partner teacher at Olmsted Academy South. We've been working with her since the very beginning. And we have a lot of fun just talking out different possibilities. This past year, I just really wanted to do creative nonfiction because that's my genre of choice. But it is collaborative. We do have conversations and we think about what it'll look like. Are all of the semesters at Olmsted or do you work with other schools and teachers as well? We do work with other schools and other teachers. So our very first year, we were just at Olmsted and then we grew and we grew really quickly. So 
The Young Authors Book Project, which I just mentioned, it's a year-long program. We've worked with Olmsted Academy South, Western Middle, and Southern High School. We have our after-school writing and homework help program. So any student in Louisville can be a part of that. No matter what school, where they live, where they're from, they can join. We have road shows, which is where we take a program into a school for one time. So teachers can request a roadshow for their classroom. Same thing, we lead it, we bring in a team of volunteers. We have field trips where students come to us and do this very fun theatrical writing experience where at the end they take a bound copy of the story that they wrote home. And then we, we just have some other in-school programs. So for example, this past year we have a partnership with the Water Foundation. So we had students write poems about different water issues. So basically, you know, we'll talk to a teacher and they'll have an idea and it'll be this really collaborative project, but there's a lot of flexibility. We also have workshops on Saturday. Those are, again, like one-offs. So I always say like if a volunteer has some interest, you know, whether it's sports or comic writing, they could potentially lead a workshop on that. So with the volunteers, I mean, do you have to be somebody who's, I guess, has a background in writing or has published in terms of requirements or qualifications? What does that look like for volunteers? People think that all the time. They'll be like, wow, your program sounds so cool, but I'm not a writer. And that's okay. Because honestly, it's, it's about listening. It's about fostering real conversations. It's about that time that our students and our volunteers spend together talking about a range of things, and it's about encouraging them, saying, wow, that's a great idea. You should write it down. It's just about those kind of electric conversations and collaborations between our students and volunteers. And yes, sometimes I encourage volunteers to participate along with students. So oftentimes we'll start a program with a seven-minute free write, and I always kind of nudge the volunteers to do it alongside our students because I think there's something really powerful about all sharing together at the end. But no, you don't have to be a writer. You just have to be someone who's willing to kind of encourage and be a cheerleader. I think just from my experience with teaching kids how to write, it seems like a lot of times, well, and I tell my children this all the time, I'm like, write down what you say. I'll ask them questions or they'll say something that's just beautiful or magical or whatever. And then they sort of look at me and I'm like, write down what you just said, because that's awesome. You know, and unfortunately, if you have a class of 24 students or a class of 29 students, it's less likely that the teacher, that one individual is going to be able to give that kind of attention to all the students as much as they might need it to get them more comfortable with their own voice. So I, I think that's that's really cool. How many volunteers do you typically have when you do a session at school? I mean, do you have one for every child? It works out so it's pretty much like one to three. So we'll, we'll have tables of one volunteer with three students. So we'll have a range of seven to 15 volunteers on a given day. Wow. Where do you find your volunteers? I mean, do they kind of come to you or do you, are you actively searching for them? We are actively searching for them. I think our first round of volunteers was just uh, my friends who I just said, you know, I'm starting this thing and I need you. Uh, <laughs> got my, 
got my dad on board. But uh, social media, go to classes at universities and give a pitch. But yes, we're always actively searching for volunteers. The other thing I like to point out is that there's different roles. So yes, what I'm talking about, sitting with students, that is kind of our biggest, most crucial need. But we also publish our student work. So we need editors. We need people behind the scenes who can help. I'd say if this is a mission that you're interested in and you want to be a part of it, we'll put your skill set to good use and make an impact with it. So how has this all changed then since COVID-19? Because all the things that you were talking about before are very intimate, hands-on kind of activities. So how have you had to pivot? So we moved all of our programs to virtual platforms, Google Classroom, Google Docs, email. So the three programs that we had going on previously, one was at Western Middle, one at Olmstead, and then our after school writers club, we moved those all online. And we've had some elements of video conferencing, having our volunteers write notes to students. And I've kind of given a lot of thought, we're all online now. We've always had a lot of virtual content, whether it's social media or TV and all these things, but now more than ever, it seems like this is what we have for community. So I thought a lot about, well, how are we heard in this constant noise? And I think the answer is still being really personal and showing our students that our attention is still on them. So our volunteers have done a lot of writing personal notes to students and still trying to cultivate that really special space, even in our virtual environments. We also launched a couple new initiatives One being an online journal for students to submit responses to COVID-19. So students can submit a poem, an essay, anything that is about their experience. And we pair them with a volunteer and they get individual feedback on it. And then we publish their piece on our website. And then we also have kind of a social media campaign called We Will Write Through This, where we encourage students to write positive notes of hope and support for someone that they're thinking about right now and then sending us a picture of their note or sign and we post it on our Instagram and Facebook. I think right now would be a really important time for young people to be writing for a couple of different reasons. One, because it is kind of a stressful time and a lot of times just putting your thoughts, your fear, you know, whatever it is you're thinking on paper in some way, be it creative or not, can be an outlet for that. And then the other thing is I saw something recently on social media saying, wouldn't it be awesome if all of these younger people, older people too, but especially young people kept a journal of what it was like to sort of live through this period so that when they're older, they can look back on that because this is going to be a pivotal time in our world's history. So I I think those are really great things for kids to have that opportunity to feel an open space to write. Yeah. And our whole focus, our belief is that young people have something important to say, and they should be a part of these larger conversations in our community and be taken seriously. And I always say, if we take students seriously, they start to take themselves seriously. And there's so much power in that. We often leave young people and particularly young people from marginalized communities kind of out of the conversation. And they have important things to say and to add and to think about. So we want to create that space for them to do that. 
So I was looking at the Young Authors Greenhouse website, and I noticed some of your activities before COVID-19 involved music. I saw pictures of Jim James and Teddy Abrams. Is that something that you try to do in general, or were those just special projects that you had? So we've been really lucky to have people like Teddy Abrams and Jim James in our corner championing our work. So Jim James, he's on our board. He's friends with Dave Eggers, and we connected with him. You know, starting an author's greenhouse, it just feels like all these shooting stars aligned. Jim James and Teddy Abrams had this idea to do a songwriting program with our students. And so it's now our yearly event, and it's really cool. So what happens is I work with a group of students for about five weeks on writing poems and lyrics, and we group the students into bands, and and they write a song. They write lyrics collaboratively. And then that sixth week, we have this team of musicians that rolls in, and every band gets two professional musicians for their group, and they help them shape their lyrics a little bit more because I am by no means a songwriter. So they come in and they make it work for a song and then they put their words to music. That's and very it's cool. A, it's amazing. You know, I was talking about how we take our students seriously, but what's really cool about this is you have these professional mus- musicians come in and they're listening to our students. Our students are like, you know, I think that that needs to sound a little sadder or I think it needs to be faster. And those musicians are responding to our students rather than the other way around, which Mm -hmm. is just, it's amazing. And then at the end of that week, they perform them together. Do they perform them at the physical space at the Young Authors Greenhouse or they perform them someplace else? The past two years, it's been at our space in Portland. That is, that's a really cool collaboration. I love that. And writing song lyrics is a lot like writing poetry. I mean, it basically is a a type of poetry. And I don't think that students really think of it like that, maybe until they do an activity like this. I mean, yeah, you, you said something that I think about a lot. One of the things that we do is we try to help students connect writing to everything because as a writer and a reader I truly believe that writing is everywhere and no matter what you do there is some component of writing in it and I think helping students kind of make that connection whether it's music or tv or anything just helping make that connection between writing and other arts is really important. What is the opposite shop? I saw that mentioned on your all's website as well. Yes. So the opposite shop is our quirky storefront in our space. It was created based on that belief that the 826 model has, where we're trying to create a space that feels unlike a normal space that a student might encounter. So it feels different than school. And the opposite shop helps with that. So the opposite shop is a store that is owned by twins. They are fictional. And these twins disagree about literally everything, but they own the store together. So they split it down the middle and each have their own half. And one twin is a dreamer, loves airships, very imaginative. And that twin opened an airship emporium. We actually have a hot air balloon basket hanging in the store that you can get in and take a picture of yourself in. And then the other twin is this 
scientific researcher, and they own Deep Sea Supply. So there's the Airship Emporium and the Deep Sea Supply. So when you walk into this space, it's literally split down the middle. The floors are different. The aesthetic is totally different. And when students come in, they can enter our writing lab through this submarine hatch. So it's kind oh, of a cool. portal. Yeah. So it's kind of a portal to exploration and support. And it's just kind of this ode to imagination and weirdness because we really believe in creating an environment that encourages imagination and discovery and inquiry and a space that's brave and safe, safe and inclusive. And we reflect that belief in the spaces that we build. That is at the opposite shop does it's also a fully functioning store so if you need to buy you know some sea monster scales or a jar of sunshine you know where to go one of the things that you mentioned about how it's kind of a fantastical portal into some place that doesn't look like school sometimes i think because of the way we have chosen to educate kids, we sort of have beaten all the joy out of it. (laughs) And I guess the thing is, I see that smaller children, elementary school children are enthusiastic, but a lot of times by the time they're middle and high school, writing is just flat out a chore. You know, they've been told that this is a five paragraph essay and you have to do this method, you know, the race method or whatever, you know, there's all these different strategies, which can be helpful but it can also be very limiting. So what are some of the challenges? Do you have students who look at writing as a chore and you have to help them see it differently? Or do a lot of the children who come to your after-school program, do they already like writing? And so you're not trying to have to make it look like a different animal. Yeah, so both. We definitely have students who do not consider themselves writers. And we have the students who come to us because they are so excited to write. And kind of what you were saying made me laugh because at the very beginning of the creative nonfiction project that we did that we're just wrapping up, first day I I was like, we're gonna write essays. And me being a creative nonfiction writer, I'm like super excited about it. And there was just this like collective groan. And the teacher was like, you can't call it an essay. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. So yes, absolutely. But I think, again, it's about those volunteer connections. I think we all just want to be heard, right? We all just want to know that our ideas and our thoughts matter. So I think, yes, there is this challenge of thinking about writing that way. But what you said earlier about how it's just a matter of telling students to write their ideas down, I think that's what it is. And once you get past that barrier of well, I don't really have anything interesting or important to say. And having a volunteer saying, well, I think you do. In fact, you you just said something really interesting and important. Just write it down. And just having that constant support, I think that's where that transformation happens. The thing I think about is kids who don't automatically enjoy writing. It's almost like they need to have somebody else be their cheerleader until they've heard it enough that they've internalized that own voice in their heads and then they don't need the cheerleader anymore. Exactly. You know, it's just being paid attention to really, I don't know, you were also talking about how with younger students, that joy is kind of there and that joy and creativity. And I think a lot about how we think about imagination. I think imagination is always scoffed at as as like this make-believe thing, but I really believe that imagination is so important and 
particularly as an exercise in like problem solving. You know, being able to imagine is imagining real alternatives. It's it's thinking about well, what if things didn't have to be this way? And it kind of becomes this problem solving in a way forward. And I think for like middle schoolers and high schoolers who are thinking about more serious issues, imagination is still absolutely important. I also feel that as students get into middle school and high school, writing can be cringy for them because they're sort of putting themselves out there. They're trying to fit in with everybody. They feel sort of insecure about themselves. And when you're right and putting things that you're feeling down and then you show it to other people, that's opening yourself up to showing somebody the inner you. Mm -hmm. And I feel like having someone give you encouragement is basically like saying, you're okay. You're a cool person. And I think that could be yeah. really affirming for students, but, you know, probably nerve wracking yeah. as well. Oh, absolutely. And one of the components of all of our programs is sharing. So students, every single day that we're there, they share something, whether it's one line that they wrote or their entire piece, there is this, this component of standing up and speaking. And at first that's, really intimidating. And we have conversations about how writing is a really vulnerable process. It's writing itself as an act of courage. And it's all about cultivating that community with, with, with our students and our volunteers so that when they dig into those tough things, when they, especially creative nonfiction, when they're talking about things that are, are real and raw and sometimes stories they've never told before, it's so important to already have that community in place so that they feel comfortable and confident to share that. That's so magical, yeah. And, and that's something too that I think is really important and special about our work. There's typically a power structure between young people and adults, right? And we try to level that. When our volunteers are with our students, we're all sharing, we're all sharing our ideas and it's very collaborative. It doesn't feel like your typical power dynamic. I think that is also something important. So you had mentioned when we've been talking about how you have certain programs where students are able to take a bound copy of their own work home with them. Mm-hmm. Has Young Authors Greenhouse published anything that the public that's sort of not just for each individual child or individual families, but something that is, you know, almost like a publication for the community? We do. Yes. So we have two books. One was from our first Young Authors Book Project. It's a collection of poems. It's called, If You Can See the Stars, There is Still Light. And it's, it's just this beautiful publication. That's one thing that we also do. When, when I talk about taking our students seriously, it's beyond that listening and that encouragement and that attention. It's saying, wow, you wrote something so strong and powerful that we're going to get a designer to design a cover of a book and we're going to have it professionally made and you're going to have your writing in a, in a real book that you can hold. We have two publications. That was our first one. And then this past year, we've published Into the Wolf's Dark Shadows, which is a collection of very telesque poems and stories. Cool. And then we have three forthcoming publications this year. I agree with you that that does make kids feel like you're taking them seriously. So when I was in middle school, it was through the public school system, but the whole county produced a book of 
writing and, you know, you had to submit things, but I remember that I was published in that and I still have copies of it. And I remember at the time thinking, oh, this means that I could be a writer. Now, did I ever become a writer? No, but it made me feel like I could become a writer if I wanted to. So I do think that there's something really powerful about that. And I mean, I'm a freelance writer who's 46 and I still get excited when something I write gets published. It's, it's thrilling, you know, just to see your name next to something that you've written and it's out there in the world. And even if nobody, but you reads it, it's out there. And that's thrilling. I think whether you're 14 or 46. You were asking about the students who don't take to writing quite as easily. And I think that transformation you see it like we we had this one student who for session after session she would just have her head down on the table really didn't want to be engaged and the volunteer who sat with her you know every week it was the same thing all right talk to me write that down that's a great idea that's a great sentence you just said write it down and this same student we worked with the next year and it was completely completely different after she had been published for that first Mm -hmm. time you know she'll be telling her friends my poem was so good it was in a book and I was on Mm -hmm. the news (laughs) and it's just this this amazing thing that happens when when you take students seriously so we also have a record of vinyl oh oh, wow with the songs that they put together somebody wanted to purchase them are they available at the opposite shop so we are all online now and we have a store link on our website Cool. Yeah. So what plans does your organization have for the future? Working with more schools, working with more students. We were always thinking about what partnerships are going to be next. I feel like we have a really strong structure of what our programs are. So we have our in-school programs, which are those partnerships with teachers. And then we have our programs that are at our center. And I think it's just more about building them out, working with more students, working with more teachers. We recently launched, before this all happened, we launched that field trip program. And of course, now that's just a big question mark. So I don't know, it'll, it'll be really interesting to see what the, what the fall holds. You know, we're still really young as an organization. So just sharing, spreading the word and working with more students. Well, hopefully the show will help spread the word a little bit. There and you go, yeah. If someone is interested in volunteering with you, or if there are teachers who might like to talk to you about collaborating with them, how would someone contact you? Just go to our website, youngauthorsgreenhouse.org. There's information about volunteering and information about our programs. And ultimately, they will email me, but that's how you can get started. Is that the same way that a student, if a parent out there has a child who's interested in writing, if they wanted to find out about your programs, would they go to the same place or does it have to be through a school? Nope. It's all on our website. And I mentioned earlier that online journal, we're accepting submissions. So students could write about their healthy at home experience and submit that writing and we'll give some personal feedback and then publish their work on our website. Awesome. Well, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're all going to talk about what we're reading. We're back with Hannah Rose and with Carrie, and Carrie, we talk every day, so I think I know what you've been reading, but why don't you tell everybody else? What what have you been reading? 
Now, be honest, Amy. We talk every day, multiple times a day. (laughs) So I have to give an update on my reading saga, okay? So I think I explained this. I had gotten a book called Blood of Elves, which is the Witcher book. So the whole Netflix thing, right? So I had gotten that book and I explained how it ends up that that's the first novel of the series, but it's not the first book. So Amy, when I was going through this with her, she was maybe making fun of me a little bit because I read book three first. I'm reading book one second, and I'm going to read the second book third by the time this is all said and done. So I wanted to say that I have read, I finished it, the first official book in the series, which is a book of short stories about the Witcher, and it is called The Last Wish. And not only did I read it, I read it on a Kindle which for me is a huge big deal because it's the first book I have ever read on a Kindle. So, and people should know that since you did that one, you've also downloaded two more. Two more. Yeah. Yeah. This yeah. is really a mind blowing. Oh, well, yeah. then you're never with the it. right crowd cuz we don't usually <laughs> either, but but Carrie's I'm getting like, desperate. <laughs> The library is closed. Normally, I would put an actual physical book on reserve. When it came in, I would march myself up to the library and pick it off the the reserve shelf and bring it home. That is not an option. And desperate times call for desperate measures. My desperate measure is (laughs) taking my son's Kindle and making it my own so that I can read the first book in the Witcher series. I want to say, if you are interested in the Witcher series, start with The Last Wish. Because as you read it, this is what I was doing. I was reading it going, oh, this was in the show. And then I'd read the next story. Oh, this was in the show too. So if you saw the, the Netflix series and you loved it, then go get that book. Now, here's the other thing. I read the third book. It's an actual paper book. The first book is an ebook. I am waiting to get the second book in the series, and that's going to be an audiobook. This is just, it's like, I don't know. It's planes, trains, and automobiles, but. It is. It is. I'm all (laughs) over the place. So I really don't have anything to say too much about the story. It's actually what's even more interesting is the whole saga of my reading it. So that's what I got this week. Hannah Rose, what have you been reading? So I've honestly haven't been reading nearly as much as I would have liked to during this time. However, I have read so many student essays and poems in the last week. But the last book that I read is Know My Name by Chanel Miller. Oh, yeah. Um, I have either of you read it? No, I have not, but I've heard good things about it. Oh, it's gorgeous. You know, I, I talked to our students about the power of storytelling and how we don't always have choice or control in our lives. We have the power to decide how and when to share our stories. And this memoir is just a stunning and brilliant example of just that. So it's the power of a story, of reclaiming a narrative. And in this case, it's about a narrative of sexual assault and how Chanel's narrative has been flattened and muffled by the legal system and the media. And it's just so difficult and beautiful. And it just shows are multitudes of thoughts and emotions about sexual assault. And at the same time, it 
just creates space for that complexity and chaos. Anyway, it's brilliant and beautiful. So for those who may not know, it's a memoir. And the author was the victim of a sexual assault case at Stanford, California, I don't know, a couple of years ago. And it's the case where her assailant was a collegiate swimmer at Stanford and the judge let him off easy because of that. Yes. Yeah. And I I followed the case when it was unfolding. And I think this book is so important because even as someone who is very much invested in the story being told, just so many things are cut out and silenced that are in this book. And I just think we should all read it to empathize, to understand, to feel, to, to ache, to heal. It's just, it's stunning. Hannah Rose, is that hardback or is that in, it or do you is, know? It is hardback. I also want to mention, for those of you who have been reading things online, I know this is a book question. So it's published by McSweeney's, but it's called Flattened by the Curve. It's a, like it's an, an online. online essay series. And it's healthcare workers writing about their experiences mm. right now. And it's oh. so powerful and heartbreaking and just important. I don't know, we, we talk about how we don't have the time to read and write. And I'm like, oh, here are people in the front lines and they're still finding time to to write and submit these essays to this project. It's, I don't know if I, yeah. I'm cheating, but I feel, feel like we're in uncharted oh. waters of how we consume our media right now. No, <laughs> it's not cheating. <laughs> you get reading however you can at this point. <laughs> in fact, when I talk yeah. about what I'm reading, I'm also mentioning a TV show. So we're just, we're all over the place <laughs> here. <laughs> Amy, what have you been reading? So the book that I want to talk about is a book that I actually finished a couple months ago. I read it at the end of March when the quarantine really just started to become more real. And this is an example of a book that when I read it, I think the timing was off for me because of the quarantine. Things around us were scary, still are kind of scary. And I think what I craved was a happy book or something that would completely pull me away from reality. This is not that book. The book that I read is called Say Nothing, A True Story of Murder and Memory in Northern Ireland by Patrick Radden Keefe. It's a new release. It came out in February of this year, and it has gotten rave reviews. And this is nonfiction. It's written by an investigative journalist who's a staff writer with The New Yorker. And the story that serves the base of this book is the story of Jean McConville, who in 1972, she was a widow and the mother of 10 children. And she was dragged from her home in Belfast by masked intruders while her children watched. And she was driven away and she was never seen again. And everyone knew it was the IRA, everyone in her community that had taken her, but there was a code of silence in Northern Ireland and no one would speak of it. So many years later, the IRA claimed that the mother, Jean McConville, was an informant for the British. Her children, some of who were in their teens at the time, said there was no way she could have been an informant. There was no reason. Why would she have risked the lives of her children by doing that? Afterwards, I think all of those kids ended up in orphanages or foster care. So this is the centerpiece of the book. But what Keith does is he gives us in-detail history of the people and history of the IRA movement through this one particular example. And so we learn about, there's a whole slew of, of players in this book or, you know, characters, but they're all real people. And there's um, sisters, Dolores and Marion Price, who were freedom fighters. Uh, we learn about Jerry Adams, who would eventually negotiate a peace deal. 
I found this book fascinating in many ways, and I learned so much about what the troubles were really about. I think I only really had a vague idea of what they were about, but this was sort of heavy and brutal reading, and it was not something I was excited to return to day after day <laughs> during a pandemic. It was just sort of the wrong time <laughs> for me, but I have thought about it a lot since I read it. It's not that I didn't like it. It just was that I needed something light, and this was not light, but- yeah. A few months have passed, it's grown on me, and one thing in particular really helped me appreciate it more, and it was a TV show that I found. So my <laughs> husband, daughter, and I began watching a dark comedy on Netflix called Dairy Girls. Dairy as in Londonderry, which is a northern Irish city on the border with Free Ireland. And so Londonderry, because of where it's located, historically had its fair share of violence between Catholics and Protestants. And this show is about a group of Catholic high schoolers who all come from working class families and the trials and troubles they get themselves into just trying to grow up. So they deal with many of the same experiences that any high schoolers would deal with. You know, it's a comedy about teenagers discovering sex, dealing with parents, hating the goody two shoes in the class who's always ratting everyone out <laughs> to make themselves look better. And those scenes are funny. But what I love about the show is that the writer and the director of the show, Lisa McGee, superimposes these classic teenage themes with images and pictures of armed soldiers in the streets and bombings going on around them. Those things are not funny. And what would it have been like to come of age during the Troubles? And this show is based on her life growing up in Londonderry. And I saw a quote from her in an interview that essentially said that the Northern Irish have found a way to find a funny side to home. So I think that the mix of the book Say Nothing and the show Dairy Girls kind of hits the sweet spot for me. And it makes me appreciate each one of them a little bit more. It adds depth to both. But if you decide to try watching Dairy Girls, make sure you turn on the subtitles because their accent <laughs> is really thick. It will help you. I promise. You get two recommendations instead of one this week. There you go. You answered one of my questions and I'm always really curious to hear what people are reading or watching right now I tend to just we're in this dark situation I'm just gonna like lean into the darkness and yeah. other people really want that light so yeah yeah that's why I think I partly why I enjoyed the show so much I had heard about the show before and I think I tried to watch one episode and it just didn't I don't know. It didn't hit me something I wanted to continue watching. And then when we tried it again, and then I had all that, all that background history that I got from the book, it really just made it all that much richer. I mean, you would recommend the book, I right? I would. Seeing the show just made it even better. Yeah, I mean, or... I, the book, I mean, it's, it's nonfiction, sort of true crime, because they're trying to solve the murder of this mother of 10. But, you know, it's also history because you get all the history of the Troubles in Northern Ireland. And so, yes, I would recommend the book. I just think that I read it at the wrong time. I think I would gotcha. have enjoyed it much more if I wasn't watching the news about the pandemic and the whole world falling apart. And, you know, I needed, <laughs> I needed something that wasn't real and kind of fluffy, I think. Now, I'm telling you, The Witcher, not real. <laughs> <laughs> you say you don't like high fantasy, but... You never know. It, I could try. It's not real, it's and not real. therefore, it takes you away from all the problems of the world. So, yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, we are going to take a short break, and when we come back, we are going to be asking Hannah Rose her top five.
We are back with Hannah Rose from Young Authors Greenhouse, and we're going to be asking her her top five. So Hannah Rose, what is the top item that you love from the opposite shop? Aside from our student-written publications, um, I have to say we have a jar of Wisps of Cloud Nine, and it contains skywriting, which is a, a line of student writing, and you can use it for inspiration, dreaming, and hope. It's a lovely little gift. Oh, that's, that's cute. Really neat. Yeah. So you said that you also sell like jars of sunshine and things like that? I did. They are jelly beans and glitter mostly. So say we have these things <laughs> <laughs> we have things in jars that are, you know, jelly beans and glitter, but they've been rebranded to fit the deep sea supply or the airship emporium side and it's a, it's a lot of fun to think up names and uses for them. So that's that's a nice little creative outlet that I get. So do the students, do they run the shop or do volunteers run the shop? So we have an intern right now who is running the shop. Honestly, we literally had just kind of opened it to the public when this happened. Uh-huh. So, so we quickly shifted to getting everything online and all that. It's been a hard pivot. I think, <laughs> I don't think there's a, any person who hasn't had to be like, ah! put on the brake no. and do a 180. So I hear that you're also an avid TV watcher. So I'm wondering what's your top TV find since quarantining? And what's your top show of all time? I have watched an embarrassing amount of TV. I've watched so much TV over this time. I've watched Trash and Good TV. But I think one of my favorite shows that I found during this time is Sex Education. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I love a teen TV show. And this one is just so delightful and different and I think it just handles very real issues to teenagers in just a thoughtful and honest way I really really enjoyed it so do you have a top show of all time I'm one to not pick favorites but I think one show that I'm just so delighted that I discovered this year is Schitt's Creek oh yes me too Um, me too you you watch that yeah I'm I just finished season four okay we I I think you might be ahead of me. Oh, okay. Well, then I, I won't. I won't give any spoilers. <laughs> um, it's just so full of heart. I love it so much, and there's also a lot of really great sweaters. So there I is. I sweater. just watching it for Moira's wigs, her outfit. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. I know it's so funny. I I read somewhere that whoever does the design for that show like just started going to yard sales and thrift stores and things and finding all of these old wigs. It's hard to believe that some people actually wore, now I'm sure not all of them are from that. I'm sure, you know, they've made some or whatever, but the fact that anybody ever wore some of those wigs is pretty astounding. So for those who don't watch the show, one of the characters, she's a former like Hollywood soap opera star, basically, but she wears a different wig every episode and it's pretty hysterical. They're kind of off the wall. We had had Netflix before And we decided, you know what, since we're stuck in the house, we're going to get Hulu. Well, I have started rewatching Seinfeld episodes because I used to watch Seinfeld. That Honestly, that was the last show that I watched religiously. So I have been watching Seinfeld. I started at the very first episode and I'm going to go through and watch all of them. And two, I thought, you know, I really want to 
dart ahead and see the Jerry Stiller yeah. episodes since he just passed away. But I'm I'm going to hold off and do it in order and just go all the way through. So that's my favorite of all time. In fact, when my kids were a little bit younger, we watched all of them straight through, just like you're talking about. And they loved it, too. You never know if the humor is going to translate to younger people, but it did. Well, Hannah Rose, one of your interests is feminism. So what, in your opinion, is one of the top misconceptions that the public has about feminism? Yeah, so I feel like the most common misconception that we hear is that, you know, feminists are angry and believe that men are trash, but I'm not really interested in talking about that anymore. I feel like it's just been so done. I'm kind of more interested in this current misconception of feminism being this kind of one-size-fits-all trendy brand because I think when feminism becomes a brand it gets really damaging it has to be fluid it has to change for every person's individual experience and I think feminism is so often talked about men versus women but that completely ignores that gender is fluid in the spectrum so just it gets really problematic when feminism kind of becomes this brand that relies on capitalism and then the equity piece kind of falls out of it which if feminism doesn't have equity then it completely falls apart so i think feminism is it's hard work it's constant reflection and challenging yourself and it it can't just be this trend this cool cool thing so what is one of the top ways that you get ready to write do you have any special things you need in your writing environment or like rituals that you do to make you be most productive? Not really. I'm definitely a a night writer. I really don't have any rituals with writing, which is kind of funny because I hear about these writers who eat a certain food while they were working on their novel. And I'm like, well, that would be nice. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting because I'm much more of a ritualistic TV watcher. Like I definitely have TV shows and I'm like, I want to eat this certain thing while I watch this TV show. But with writing, I think it's more of just whenever I have the energy to do it, which is not always very often. And I definitely need quiet space. I like to listen to music. I was recently talking to a friend about the music that we listen to when we write. And we were both talking about how we tend to like music that makes us feel very nostalgic. And we tend to put just a few songs on loop. I guess I like to get into my feelings when I'm writing and I don't know. I I like that kind of nostalgic, quiet. So (laughs) when I'm writing, I can't listen to music because my brain starts paying more attention to the lyrics. I think it's like how there's certain things I can't do when I'm listening to an audiobook because I can't have two different types of words because it splits my attention. So do you have that trouble when you're writing? I don't. I will say I cannot write and listen to a podcast. I can't flip my attention that way. But I think if it's a slower music with lyrics is totally fine for me. I like to be comfy. Like I want to put on joggers and a sweatshirt. And it's more about like coziness than anything. So our last question is, what is the top book that when you read it made you want to be a writer? So this is like the easiest question you've asked, which is great. Um, (laughs) So Bluets by Maggie Nelson. Have either of you read it? No. No. Oh, it's beautiful. It's this lyric book of kind of ongoing lyric essay that very much feels like it 
toes the line between creative nonfiction and poetry, which my writing tends to do as well. And I read it for my first creative nonfiction class in college. And I read it and I was like, oh, this is what writing can be. I can do this. This is what I want to do. It's this reflection on the color blue. And so it's like B-L-U-E-T-S? B-L-U-E-T-S, yes. Okay. It's a flower. And you know, that's funny because I just listened to the audio book, The Book Woman of Troublesome Creek, and they call her Blewett because she's one of the blue people of Kentucky. Yeah. So when you said that, I was like, oh, that immediately is what I thought of. So, and it's a book of poetry. Is that poetry essays? It's very lyrical. I would say it's a work of creative nonfiction, but it's, it feels very poetic. This reflection on the color blue and it kind of weaves together a narrative of heartbreak, but also kind of research about the color blue. And it's fascinating. I think Maggie Nelson does something in all of her work that I'm really interested as a as a writer in incorporating philosophy and research in with very lyrical language hmm. that's always been something I really admire well, I'll have to look her up I'll have to look that that book up yeah well thank you so much for speaking yeah. with us about what you're reading and what you're watching on television and also about young authors greenhouse we learned a lot and we hope things settle down and life can kind of return to some semblance of normal so that kids can can get that you know one-on-one close experience with your volunteers yeah we hope so too thank you this is a lot of fun thanks for joining us today for show notes for any episode please go to our blog site at www.perksofbeingabooklover.com Follow us on Facebook at Perks of Being a Book Lover and on Instagram at Perks of Being a Book Lover Pod to see what we're up to and when new episodes air. If you enjoy our show, spread the word and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps other listeners find us. Finally, a huge thank you to Forward Radio 106.5 FM, a grassroots, community-based radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there, live or in archives, at forwardradio.org, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts.